All right, how are you guys doing? Uh, so we've been going through a series called The Trinity. Uh, we've been talking about a variety of different aspects, uh, attributes of God, who God is, how he reveals himself to us, uh, all sorts of different things that we've covered. And uh, we talked about the idea that, that the Trinity is, the, is this idea that God exists eternally uh, as, as one God, but in three persons, three separate persons, in the way that he presents himself, reveals himself to us. We mentioned in this series uh, earlier that, that Jesus is the Son of God, all right, that Jesus himself is, is God, is one of those three persons. And I realize that's probably a bit of a, a, a leap in logic for, for many people, like, whoa, 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 like, wait a minute, Jesus is God now? That they, they might have a little, a bit of hard time coming to that conclusion, and I understand that's actually a good reservation to have because hopefully uh, your list of people who are God is not one that you're regularly adding individuals to, right? That you're, you're kind of like a little bit resistant to adding people to that list. And, and that's a good thing. So I don't want you to just arbitrarily go around and saying that certain people are God. And, and I also don't want you to wrongly classify who Jesus is. All right. So, so if that's something that you're still wrestling with, uh, you know, definitely uh, go check out the first sermon we had in, in the series. And uh, also feel free free to talk to me afterwards. I'd love to discuss some of that stuff with you. But, but today we're going to take a look specifically at, at God the Son, all right? That, that Jesus was God the Son. He was God in the flesh who came down to dwell among us. And, and the first thing I want, I want to look at about Jesus is that, even though I just finished saying all this stuff about him being God, that Jesus was also fully man, that he was human, all right, that when he lived this life, uh, that he, he lived a life just as any of us do, that he experienced life in the world around him the same way that we do. All right, that Jesus was completely human in his experience. He was genuinely a person. He lived his life as a man. And the Bible, in, ta- in fact, talks about this, the fact that he was born, right, that he grew up, that he learned things, that he, he gained in wisdom, uh, that he would get hungry, that Jesus wept, that Jesus bled, and that Jesus died. He did very human things because he was authentic in his humanity, that Jesus was fully Man, so he was authentic in the life that he experienced. And this is a verse that I want to point out in Hebrews 4 that I've got up on the screen so you can follow along if you'd like. Also, if you're ever interested in the Bible, uh, you could raise your hand and, and James there, I, I didn't, I'm just putting him on the spot. He'll grab some and he'll get some to you if you want and you can take it home as a gift. But uh, Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Right? So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So I want to point out that Jesus in his humanity was tempted at all points. Right, that he struggled with his encounters with sin, right? That he was tempted to sin. Now, he obviously never did, right? He ended up leading a perfect life. He never ended up falling into sin, but he, he knows what it's like to struggle. That he understands what it's like to be human, to be us. And that Jesus was, he understands us better and he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses because he walked as one of us, 
right? That, that Jesus or, or God, he doesn't dismiss us and be like, yeah, you shouldn't have messed up there. Like, what's your problem, right? That he understands the struggle that we have as humans. He understands all of that we face and that we don't, you know, he understands how we might not lead perfect lives. And, and because of this understanding, because he's our, our high priest, our mediator, the one that we can go and access God through, because he understands us, this verse says that we can now confidently go before God or that we can boldly go before his throne of grace. Right, So that we, we can go before God and his throne is not a throne of judgment against us. Where he's declaring us guilty. Where he's holding us in condemnation. It's a throne of grace that we can come to because he sympathizes with us. He understands that we struggle. And what's, what's really great news here, you might not have picked up on it, is, is not only does he offer us forgiveness when we go to him. All right, not only does he just forgive us of our sins and, and not bring it up again. But he also gives us the strength through his grace to endure when we struggle. Right? That, that God doesn't want us just, you know, to go to him after we've already messed up. God wants us to run to him while we're in the midst of the struggle. That God wants us to pursue him in the middle of the temptation when you're trying not to look that way. Right? When you're trying not to say those words. Right? That God wants to give us the strength to endure. But I want to point out that, that Jesus was a man, all right? That, that Jesus was human, right? That he understands what we've been through because he lived life as one of us. And it's as if God, in desiring to understand us more, even though he already knew everything about us, chose to walk as one of us so he could truly know what it's like to, to walk in our shoes or, or sandals, I guess, in Jesus's case. But, 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 but Jesus was a man. And, and, and oftentimes, it turns out that how we categorize Jesus, it, it, it's a big deal. And in fact, that how, how a church or how a, a group or a person categorizes Jesus, it can be a way to diagnose whether or not their thinking is right. All right, whether or not a group might be a cult or not. Because oftentimes cults, they actually get messed up on the issue of Jesus, where they're like, no, 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 he wasn't really a man. Right? Or, or he just he came in a spiritual sense. Or they might say, no, 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 he didn't really rise from the dead, he just rose spiritually and then was kind of like hanging out for a little bit as like a ghost or something. Right? They, they, they try to reclassify them. Or, or, or they just might flat out say that Jesus wasn't really God. You know, that he was only a man. So it's, it's in these areas that we see that we can actually diagnose the truth. Uh, in, in 1 John 4, it says this, by, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come, that, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So I want to point out that Jesus came in the flesh. Jesus walked on this earth. The historical Jesus actually existed. And the Bible doesn't shy away from us being able to pinpoint where he lived and when he lived on this earth. Where the Bible, in terms of when Jesus started his ministry in, in Luke chapter 3, it lists five separate rulers, right? It lists who the emperor of Rome was and that it was the 15th year of his reign. It lists who the regional authorities were. It even goes into the fact of like that so-and-so was the high priest at this time. That, that it's, it's pinpointing the time period when Jesus lived. 
that the Bible is even specific about the geography and the location in which Jesus walked this earth, where it talks about where he was born and, and where he grew up, right? The, the cities and the towns that he traveled to, right? It gives landmarks and locations when he would encounter people or when he'd heal the sick, right? That, that, that he existed on our earth, this earth, right? It's not some made-up story. It's a, an actual person who exists. The Bible also gives genealogies about Jesus for both his mother and father, saying, listen, this is the family from whom he came from, right? The father being, of course, his stepfather, Joseph, because he wasn't actually the father. And not, I'm, I'm trying not to spread gossip in church or nothing, but Joseph wasn't really the dad. But, uh, but, but, but Jesus not only walked this earth physically, he also rose bodily, Right? That when he died, he rose again three days later in the flesh. That it wasn't just a, a spiritual resurrection that occurred. And Jesus easily could have given himself that cop out. Where he could have just said, you know, no, uh, yeah, in three days I'll rise spiritually. Right? And just kind of keep things simple so it would be a little less complicated for him in case he was a fraud. Right? But no, no, no. He said that in three days that he would, he would rise again. And Jesus did, in fact, rise again bodily. Right where he showed up to people. He, he encountered his disciples, the, the ones that even doubted and were like, I don't know if Jesus really rose from the dead. And he's like, listen, here, feel these wounds. Look at these scars. I am your friend Jesus that just died. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm here. Right? And, and to verify that he wasn't a ghost, he's like, let me eat some food in front of you. Right? I'm not a ghost. I'm hungry. I'm, I'm still, uh, I have a body. I exist. Right? And he even at one point appears to 500 people simultaneously. But, so I just want to point out that Jesus was really a man. All right? That Jesus authentically lived life on this earth. That we can relate to him better because he walked in our shoes. And the cool thing about Jesus is that, that yeah, he was God, but he humbled himself to become a man. Right, that he chose to, to clothe himself in humanity. That he chose to become one of us. To dwell among us. In Philippians 2, I'm, I'm going to read like about six verses from this, but I'll break it up halfway through. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped at. Right? Right? Uh, Next verse, it says, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus, I want to point out, was humble. And this passage is saying, if Jesus was God and humbled himself this way, that you shouldn't also think about yourself being so great, right? That, that you're not God, and you should also probably be humble. Have the mind that Jesus had about humility in the way that you serve one another. That Jesus himself, in his, his humble nature, became a servant of all people, right? He completely flipped the org chart when he, he came up with the he's, he He demonstrated to his disciples that, that true leaders are those who are servants of all. Right, that's what, what Jesus did. He was humble and willing to serve. He was found in, in human form. But th this passage talks about the fact that Jesus emptied himself. 
So what I want to point out is that temporarily, when Jesus became a man, he surrendered some of his God attributes. That when Jesus was on this earth, he wasn't all-knowing. He wasn't all-powerful. Right, that he wasn't omnipresent. He wasn't existing in all places at once. Right? He, he was existing in a single location in the body of Jesus. Right? So that he, he emptied himself temporarily of, of some of those God attributes while still fully being God. We'll get there. Don't worry. But he was genuinely a human. He didn't, he didn't cheat in this life by being God walking through and be like, see, that was easy, guys. Why can't you do that? No, no, no. He, he was authentic in his experience. He emptied himself of, of so many of his God attributes. And I know you might be thinking like, well, wait a minute. Didn't, didn't Jesus like walk on water? Or didn't he like calm the storm? Or, or give sight to the blind or raise the dead? Didn't Jesus do all these things? That seems like a little bit beyond what I can do. And, and yeah, you're right. Everything that he did that was miraculous, however, he did empowered by the Holy Spirit. All right, that, that Jesus operated on this earth. He demonstrated what true obedience to the Father looks like for us. That, that we can do the things that Jesus did, not in the sense that we can die for other people forgiving their sins, right? Because that was exclusive to him. But in terms of how he lived his life, that, that we too can be empowered by the Holy Spirit in the way that we love and serve other people. Right? That we can, we can do that. Because in fact, Jesus is... Jesus' miraculous ministry didn't start until he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? He didn't want to just cheat through life. He didn't just want to, like, show off as what God could do and just be like, well, what's your excuse? No, he, he lived life as he wants us to live it, right? So, so Jesus did this. Everything he did was in the Holy Spirit and with power. It says in Acts 10.38. We covered that a few weeks ago. And, and what's interesting is that that, right, we as humans, we're made in the image of God. Every human. All right? So you, you don't get to be racist. You don't get to be ageist. You don't get to be sexist. Every human is made in the image of God. Yet God realized that in order to redeem us, he had to be made in the image of a man. He had to be made in the form of a, of a human in order to redeem us. That our creator chose to become like, like us. Right, that he humbled himself in human form and, like I said, demonstrated the, what obedience to the Father really looked like. And as a result of his humility and obedience, Philippians 2 keeps going on in verse 9. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Right, the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's, that's our Jesus, right? Verse 11, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So although Jesus was humbled, although he momentarily surrendered some of his God attributes, he is now fully exalted, right? Ephesians says that he is seated in heavenly places, Right, that he is reigning supreme. He is preeminent. Right, that he is in charge. He is back in his prior position. That, that, that Jesus is, is in charge of all things. And, and it's this passage, I love it. It says that his name is above every name. Right, that Jesus' name is one of authority. 
One, one that we can pray to or, or pray to the Father in the name of even. That's why Peter, when preaching in Acts, he said that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So God has given Jesus his position back after having been humble for a season. And it says that one day every knee will bow to him and acknowledge that, that Jesus is Lord. All right, and fortunately for some of us, we get to do that now, right? We, we realize that now, like, I am not in charge. I do not have control over this world, right? I'm not a good boss of my own life, right? That we can realize that Jesus is Lord, right? That we, we can bow our knees now and surrender to him. And, and sadly, not everyone will do that in this life. But one day they will recognize that, that Jesus is Lord and unfortunately it might, be, it might be too late by that point. So Jesus was fully man, but I also want to point out that Jesus was and is fully God. Because Jesus was God incarnate, right? God in the flesh. God came down and, and dwelt among us. In Colossians 1.15, uh, which by the way... Colossians 15 through 22 or so. We've got a sermon online if you want to check it out, get it further explained. But uh, it says this, he, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. That Jesus represents God. Right, that when Jesus was on this earth, he was revealing the heart of the Father to us. He demonstrated what God's attitude was for us. Right? So if you think about like how God feels about you know, yourself when you're feeling condemned or like, man, God must hate me because of my sin or this and that, I want you to think about how Jesus treated sinners. Right? That he was forgiving and yet also encouraged them to go and sin no more. Right? That, that Jesus was merciful. That's how God is because Jesus was the image of the invisible God. In Hebrews, it puts it this way, the similar idea that the Son, that is Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, right? Exact representation of God. And Jesus sustaining all things by his powerful word, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So Jesus radiates God's glory. He is the image of God. He represents God in every way. The other thing I want to point out from this passage in Colossians is that it, it says he's the image of the invisible God. That, that God, is, God the Father is one that no one has ever seen. Right? That we haven't seen God in this way. That he's revealed himself through his word, through his son. And in fact, in terms of, of building that basis that no one's seen God, the Bible talks about it in John 1.18. It says, no one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known, right? That is Jesus who is at the side of the Father made him known to us. Or in 1 John four twelve, it says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So, right, so we haven't seen God. God is invisible, right? That, that we haven't seen the Father, but he has been presented to us in Jesus, Right? Or, or that we can actually experience God living in us. We can experience him in our lives when we walk in, in genuine love towards each other. 
right? That God is perfecting that love in us. So, so Colossians, going back to that, I've read 15, but now verses 19 and 20. I skipped a, a big chunk there. It says, for in him, that is Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus, God was pleased to dwell. The fullness of God. That Jesus was, like I said earlier, fully man, but he is also fully God. Right? And it says, verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, right? To, to reunite us with him, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So, so Jesus was fully God. He was not just fully man. He was both man and God. And in fact, Paul picks that concept up again in Colossians 2.9. I don't have it up on the screen, but it says, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Right, that Jesus was God in the flesh among us. Right, that, that the, the whole Godhead, or the God fully pleased to dwell in him, it was in, in human form, right, bodily, right? That's how God presented himself to us. And, and what I want to point out is that, that God becoming a man and living among us is not an idea that's exclusive to the New Testament, it wasn't some revolutionary idea that came around with, with Jesus. It was actually God's plan all along. Because the Old Testament prophesies about the fact that there would be Emmanuel, God with us, that, that the Messiah would come down and live among us. Right? So this was God's plan from the beginning. But I want to cover a little bit of some obscure, maybe some things that you haven't ever thought about. Uh, but the fact that Jesus' birth on this earth was not the first time he'd been on this earth. All right, that God had actually been on earth as God the Son prior to Jesus' earthly life and ministry. It's kind of a weird idea. All right, but, but we're going to walk through some of these ideas. These are called uh, theophanies or Christophanies, when God reveals himself, usually in the Old Testament, uh, as a man, in the form of a, of, of a man, in, in the form of a human being. All right, so throughout the Old Testament, there are moments where God appears to people in the form of a human. And earlier, I'd already mentioned that no one had seen God, so it can't be God the Father that's revealing himself this way. So after taking a look at a few of these, I want to point out that our, our kind of only option as we narrow it down logically is, is that this must have been God the Son, right? In terms of the Trinity being presented to mankind, that Jesus is the image of God, Right? That when God revealed himself to humans in the Old Testament or the New, it was God the Son that was doing that. It was Jesus. So the first thing, and, and once I say this, I want to let you know I'm not covering the whole story, but there's the story in Daniel chapter 3 of the fiery, fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Maybe you've colored some pictures in Sunday school about it once. Right? You might remember that. But uh, actually, for our missional communities, I'm going to recommend that we, we read through that passage. But, but there's these three kids. They're taken captive by uh, the Babylonians, taken from Israel, and they're indoctrinated into their culture. And the king forces these these youth, all right, they're probably teenagers or something, uh, he forces them to worship this idol, all right, this statue. And them being Israelites, they're kind of like, well, we're not supposed to have any other gods besides God. We can't really do this. This isn't going to be good for us if, 
<laughs> you know, if we can't do this, like the king said. So uh, when they refuse, it turns out this king, his name is Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he has them burned alive in a fiery furnace, right, where he throws them into a furnace, or he has his soldiers do it. And, and in fact, when doing so, his very soldiers are consumed by the fire. Uh, however, good news they don't burn in the furnace, all right? They're safe in there. Kind of a crazy story. You're like, what? what? How's that happen, right? And of course, God can do that sort of thing. Um, and, and the king realizes this, but that's not the only unusual thing that he realizes. Uh, this is, this is I'll, I'll read this from Daniel 3, 24 and 25 uh, up on the screen. It says, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire, right? We, we threw three people in there, right? Am I right? And his counselors are like, uh, they answered to the king, oh, true, O oh, king, yeah, you're right. Yeah, sure, yep, that's what we did. And verse 25, he answered and said, but I see four men unbound, they're no longer tied up, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the fourth, or the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods, Right? This fourth person that's in here with them is some sort of divine being. What is going on? Like, we threw three guys in there. They were tied up. They're supposed to be dead by now. And the king is, is rather confused. So I want to point out that, that someone was in there with those teenagers. All right? that, that whoever was in there had the power to rescue them. All right, being God, that's who those teenagers were expecting to rescue them was God, if he so chose. Uh, and that the king recognized this fourth person as being some divine being, right? He refers to it in this translation as a son of the gods. Your translation might actually literally say the son of God, which I don't think he would have known what the son of God looked like necessarily anyway. But I want to point out that this fourth person could have been Jesus. It also could have been an angel, but it could have been, and I think likely was, Jesus, right? This is where we've got some option for opinion here, and that's fine. That's good. It's good to have some of that where the Bible's not 100% clear. So, so that's the first instance that I brought up. The second uh, series of examples that I'm going to summarize is the Bible talks about, in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord. All right, the angel of the Lord. Uh, there's 51 occurrences in scripture with 56 references to this phrase, the angel of the Lord. And what's interesting about this character is that he shows up to people and after they encounter this angel, uh, they're like, I just, I've just encountered God. So they're referring to this, this being as God, okay? So that's not a regular angel. That this angel is, in fact, given uh, credit or given attributes that are, are true only of God, all right? That, that, that this angel is painted as being uh, powerful and wonderful, the, the, the captain of the Lord's armies, and just has, has all sorts of attributes that are only attributed to God. Uh, this, this angel of the Lord is also worshipped, and called the Lord. Uh, and this angel receives that worship, which we talked about a few weeks ago that godly beings would refuse worship because only God should be worshipped, right? Unless they themselves are God. So, so who is this character? Uh, some of it is cleared up in understanding that the word angel literally just means messenger. 
Okay, that's what angel means, that a messenger. So God does have angels that he's in charge of, right? Where you see Gabriel show up to Mary and say, good news, you're having a baby, right? A messenger, right? You get that idea. Uh, but also, if, if we saw the messenger of the Lord, we would think that the, the biggest example of the messenger for God is Jesus, right? He's the image of God. He reveals God to us. So it appears as though there's this distinction between God's specific messenger and just any old ordinary messenger. And recall that these appearances could not have been God the Father because he had never, has never been seen, right? So it must have been, been God the Son. And like I said, there's 51 passages. Uh, I've got some articles that you could check up on the bonus content if you want to read about those. But, but one of the crazier ones is that he actually even shows up with his uh, Jacob, one of the patriarchs, and he has like a little wrestling match overnight with him and like blesses him or whatever. It's interesting. But yeah, so, so it sounds like Jesus like hung out with Jacob and like, let's wrestle. Here we go. Like, let's, let's have a little scrap. Uh, but yeah, but he shows up through all these different situations. Uh, so you can check that out on your own. The, the last instance of a theophany or a Christophany is this guy named Melchizedek. And he shows up in the book of Genesis. He's also mentioned in Psalms, and he's also then reflected upon in the book of Hebrews. And Melchizedek, the name literally means king of righteousness. He's also in the text referred to as the king of Salem, which means king of peace, which I want to point out is one of the prophetic names of the Messiah, that being prince of peace, that that Jesus is our prince of peace. So there's this interesting character. He's also referred to as a high priest of God, and he has no lineage, right? That he's got no, no no ancestors that are brought up. The Bible seems to highlight that. And, and at the very least, this character is what the Bible refers to as a type of Christ, right? Someone that kind of is a picture of or a model of who God was revealing himself as. But I think it's more likely that he was Jesus himself. And in one particular moment, uh, Melchizedek shows up to Abraham. You might have heard of that dude. He had many sons. Many sons had father Abraham. At this point, Abraham is referred to as Abram. And Abram is the father of the faith, right? So, so he shows up, and in Genesis 14, we've got it up here, it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God the Most High. And he blessed him, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands. The other interesting thing is that this high priest Melchizedek is a high priest before any priesthood existed. Because Abraham was multiple generations prior to Moses who instituted the the Levites and the Levitical priesthood to be the priests of Israel. So this is a priesthood prior to any priesthood. So this character, it appears as though... uh, is the Messiah, because the Bible itself refers to Melchizedek saying that that the Messiah would be of the order of Melchizedek, a priesthood forever, a priest forever, right? So that it's some sort of eternal priest, and it seems very likely that in this moment it was Abraham, uh, that it was Jesus who visited Abraham at this time. So it's kind of an unusual experience, but. But I also want to point out one of the things that Melchizedek brings, uh, which is bread and wine, right? And where else in the Bible, especially during a spiritual or religious experience, do we see bread and wine used, right? 
the Last Supper, communion, right? That's what we see. So it appears as though, because the Last Supper was instituted by Jesus, right? It was commemorating his sacrifice on the cross, right? The, 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 the wine representing the blood that he would shed for the forgiveness of sins, the bread representing his broken body that we can be healed and made whole, right? Jesus is the one that initiates this Last Supper, bringing in what he refers to as the new covenant, right? This new opportunity, this new promise or contract that we have with God that we don't have to obtain righteousness by works, but we can obtain righteousness by faith, believing, believing on the work that Jesus did for us. And it's interesting that communion appears to be shared with Abraham, who was the first person that the Bible accredits as being righteous because of his faith, because of his believing God, right? So Abraham wasn't counted as righteous because of his works. He was counted as righteous because of his, his faith. And that's the really good news about Christianity, by the way. None of us are good enough to get into heaven and that Jesus made it available for us to be forgiven, that we could be with him forever. So, so it appears as though uh, Jesus may have like shown up and been like, let's have communion, right? Hey, Abraham, what's up? Uh, so, so how does something like this happen? Um, I've got a couple ideas, but it's completely opinion, and I'm not saying like this is the case, but I find it amusing to think upon this. After Jesus had died and rose again, he's on the earth for about 40 days, and he shows up to people, right? He's, uh, and it, he's got, even though he's got a physical body, he also has a body that is glorified, one that he can do things that are somewhat unusual, where he can just like appear to people, or like in a locked room, he just suddenly shows up, so whether he walked through the wall or teleported, I don't know. But Jesus had like some additional ability when he was resurrected. So like one of the things I think of is like, what if he's like, just like this, imagine this, right? Hey, Thomas, I understand you're doubting. Hey, feel these scars. Yeah, it's blessed are those who believe without seeing. All right, I'm out of here. Bye. And then he like just like steps back out of like the timeline and then like steps over here and like back in and he's like, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what's going on? Thank you for not worshiping that image, that idol. By the way, I'm the image of the unseen God. See you guys later. Bye-bye. And then like steps back out and then he's like, bam, I'm going to step over here. Yo, Abraham, here's some bread and wine. You don't know what this represents, but it's communion and it's awesome. God wants to have a relationship with you, right? So like, I don't think it's that big of a deal for God who is eternal and outside of time to be able to just like pop in and out whenever he wants to. I don't know. Like, it's a possibility. I find it somewhat amusing. If you ever watched, like, Back to the Future, the TV show Lost, right, you get these time travel storylines. And yeah, sure, that sort of thing could happen. I don't know. But, but either way, God is powerful, and God wants to make himself known to us, right? That God the Son exists to represent the Father to us. Let's have, let's have the, the worship team come back up, and <clears throat> I want to just point that out, that, that we serve a God who chooses to reveal himself to us, that we serve a God that wants to, to be known, to have relationship with us, right? That Jesus lived on this earth so that he could be known and that, that Jesus didn't just come and offer communion to Abraham because he wanted to hang out with Abraham. He came and offered communion to all of us because he wants to hang out with all of us, right? That Jesus wants to know you specifically, that we've been given or granted the opportunity for forgiveness as well as the opportunity of friendship with God. That that's what he offers to us. 
And as far as the, you know, how, how do you become a friend of God? How do you enter into a relationship with God? The Bible keeps it pretty simple. It's just repent, which means to turn away from your old life. Just be like, God, I mess up. Like, I make bad choices. I make selfish choices. And I don't want to lead my life my way anymore. Right? Another thing is to believe. Right? Believe that Jesus died for our sins. That his work on the cross was sufficient to forgive us. That we don't have to somehow like keep working to earn our way into heaven. Right? And to believe that God rose him from the dead, demonstrating that that work was completed. Right? That we can have faith in that. And then eventually, acknowledging and confessing that Jesus is Lord. That he is the God he said he was. Right? That he does deserve to be in charge of our lives. And that he actually even demonstrated true humility and, and servanthood in the way that he lived. Right? And that we now, in relationship with him, should serve him. So we're going to have communion here in a minute. And if, if you have a relationship with Jesus, that's something that all of us are, are invited to partake in. Right? That we can take the juice, which is what we have here, it's not wine, we can take that juice and just thank Jesus for the blood that he shed. We can take that bread and, and eat it, remembering, thinking upon, commemorating the fact that his body was broken for us. Right? And we can thank him for what he's done that we could be forgiven and have this relationship, this communion with God. But the cool thing that I want to point out is that communion is not just about relationship between me and God or you and God. That communion is also something we do as a family of God. That, that Jesus made it possible that we are all adopted into his family. Right? That, we, that, that God made a people of whom there was no people. That he pulls us all from different walks of life. And he gives us all opportunity to know him. And then he makes us family together. And it's not just the people here. But we can communion, uh, have communion with, with every believer, every follower of Jesus. That we're all family. So that's why we need to, right, love God and, and love one another. And that God dwells in us now and that his love is perfected in us. So during these last couple songs, feel free to, when your heart's right before God, uh, just to go up, grab some juice, grab some bread. And like I said, you can kind of, whatever's conducive for you. If you want to have commun- communion with a friend, if you want to do it by yourself, if you want to get, you know, some people together and just pray for each other and then partake in communion, that's... That's all okay. All right, but let's pray first. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for for coming down and walking among us. That, God, you, you came down not to judge us, but to offer us freedom. That, Lord, you revealed yourself to us and your heart for us. You demonstrated true love in, in giving your life and laying down your life for us who you call your friends. I thank you, God, that you are no longer counting the sins of people against them, but you offer to all of us reconciliation, that we can be reunited with you in friendship, that, God, that you've forgiven us and that there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, so Lord, I thank you for coming on this earth and the body that you were born into. I thank you for offering that on your cross shedding your blood and and breaking your body on our behalf. 
And I thank you that we can do this in, in memory of what you've done for us and that it's not just a memory in the sense of wouldn't it be nice if Jesus was still around because you are still around. You are exalted, you are glorified, and you are mighty. And we get to be with you forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.